Forgotten Flicks, episode 61, Near Dark, 1987. What you people want? Just a couple more minutes of your time, about the same duration as the rest of your life. Hello, one and all, and welcome to the Forgotten Flicks podcast. I am Joel, joined, as always, by the Italian stallion, if he was Italian himself, Jason Grooms. Oh, he, or, if, or if I was a stallion of any kind, yeah. <laughs> You're always a stallion to me. More like the English nag. <laughs> what, 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 what was the uh, name of the band in Bill and Ted? Well, they were, uh, wild uh, wild stallions. stallions. I was gonna say white wild stallions, stallion. but that sounded extraordinarily ra- like racially motivated. And I was like, no, it's not. Not it's wild. Wild. That's right. <laughs> yes. So welcome to the Forgotten Flicks podcast, where we are talking about the movies you grew up with. Not necessarily ones we grew up with, but the ones you grew up with. Whoever you are. So because we stalked you. Yeah, you didn't know. In it. fact, we did. And so we are trying to tie this episode, episode sixty-one, J, with episode sixty. Because if you haven't heard episode sixty, you need to go back. You want to know why? Not because of Jason oh, and me, though we I are awesome. What did we do? What did we do? Wait, hold on. Was, oh wait, nothing. We didn't do anything. Was it? Was was that our? Did we do summer school? No, well, we haven't done that one yet. All right, dude. April Fool's Day. Nope. Right. Nope. Nope. You're close though. You're close. You're onto something. I'm feeling something like aliens or. <sighs> Yeah, White seriously, stuff. let's just start name dropping right now. Or... Yeah, we had Lance Henriksen on the show. Um, and yeah, as, actually, uh, I thought uh, episode sixty was the end of the podcast. That was the yeah, we pretty much we, we spent we yeah we we blew our load on that one, and we we're like, okay, we're done. We're we done. peaked. We're out. Yeah, yep, no. we're peaked. Yes, this was a fantastic follow up after um, we found out we were going to be talking to Sir Henriksen. Uh, we actually talked about some great movies from the eighties that we wanted to cover of his. And we landed on this one because it's kind of a, a big cult favorite, but it's got a cool tie-in to Aliens. It came out the year after. and um, Features like just, uh, 80% of the cast. Yeah, I was going to say, a bunch of people from it. And it also it had stars, you know, the one and only Lance Henriksen. So um, this, is a good, this is a good one for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, it has Lance in it. But secondly, I actually never saw this when it Heresy. first came out. <laughs> no, you're not the I, only one. Unfortunately, unfortunately, a lot of people have not seen this movie. I'd never even heard of yeah. it. I mean, it's um, I'm always up for a good '80s vampire flick. Yeah, because um, I like vampires that don't brood and sparkle and take advantage of high school girls. Yeah, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, um, this one I thought, oh, oh yeah, I got to see this. So yep. um, this just turned out to be a perfect one. Now you had seen this, didn't you? Say you saw it right when it came out. No. I saw it probably shortly thereafter. I mean, because it came out in 87 and I was, you know, 11 years old. (laughs) And while I was, you know, into horror movies, especially more so as I got into the early teen years, it it definitely was one of those that I I got into. I think I probably got into it after I saw The Hitcher because I I was a big fan of The Mm. Hitcher. And uh, the guy who wrote The Hitcher also wrote this film, uh, Eric Redd. Yeah, he wrote it with Catherine Bigelow, who also directed this, and would go on to direct a little movie called Hurt Locker that won Academy Award. 
mm-hmm. for this picture. You know, so. I, how many? You know, this would be a good study. We have to go back and look. I wonder how many films we've talked about in which the director went on to win an Academy Award for Best Picture. I'm going to just uh, throw it out there. Probably not a whole lot. <laughs> not many. <laughs> not many. Not, now, not, not to disparage, because obviously we've talked about some movies that we absolutely love, but I think the genres that we tend to focus on are not notoriously big Academy Award winners. Usually well, what's it's interesting. Drama. What's interesting, I think, uh, with Catherine Bigelow is that this is a good 25, 26 uh, years bet- between when she did this and when she won her Academy Award. Is um, that right? Well, she won it for— did she win it last year? Yeah, so it was like about 23 years or so. Yeah. Okay. No, not last year, year before. I mean, oh, okay, let me rephrase that. This year's Academy Awards were for last year's movie, so it was she won it in, you know, officially in the Academy Awards of 2011, so that had been 2010. So, you know, it was about 23 years. But, it, you know, and this was her directorial debut, and she, of course, is also um, known to have been married to Mr. Jim Cameron. And you can, and we're going to get into this, man. You can so see his influence in this movie. Wow. Just, really? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, especially his early stuff, like, thematically and knowing his backstory of the fact that he was a trucker. And that's why in Terminator, yeah. you got all the, the semi, you know, there's common yeah. motifs in a lot of his movies. And it stems from him, you know, actually having, you know, worked real jobs growing, you know, when <laughs> he was a young man and not, you know, going straight into Hollywood out of film school. He actually, you know. Did uh, he, he worked some good old fashioned uh, blue collar type type gigs, and you can always see that influence, um, yeah. especially in his early pictures. Although even in his you know his later stuff, you can see because he's always had. I mean, like in the abyss, and, of it. yeah, the, he always yeah. has kind of like the the roughnecks and the the folks like that. But um, yeah, there's other connections um, in cool. addition to the aliens connection. So, wow. Jay, uh, before we go into near dark and spoil the mess out of it, um, do you want to go ahead and maybe hear the trailer? <laughs> yes, because I actually, before I watched the movie, watched the trailer just so I could prep. Uh-huh. Yeah, I got to tell you, as everybody listens to it, definitely go out and watch it uh, if you haven't. So listening to it doesn't do it quite justice. <laughs> so okay. Let's go ahead and roll. All right. Some time, so 
Excuse me. Excuse me. Spoiler alert, please. Huh. It had been so long since we heard JV, <laughs> and I miss him so. <laughs> so I wanted to play that. Plus, I love the fact that in his version, he doesn't actually bother getting out of the car. He just kind of opens the door and yells it at you and then slams the door shut, then takes <laughs> off. I was like, I'm not going to walk over to you. You're not That's even a drive-through spoiler alert. That's what that is, buddy. Yes, and of course, if you're new to the Forgotten Flicks podcast, we spoil the crap out of the movies we talk about. Yes, the main, movies. primarily because they are usually multiple decades old, and, and so yes, and more more than more than likely you have seen them or are very familiar with them already. Although we do always recommend that if you haven't, especially when the movie's awesome, not implying what I think about this movie. You know, on the front end. Just in general, because we talk about a lot of awesome movies. Yes, so. we do. Yes. But if it is and you haven't, we will spoil the crap out of it. So you may want to go pause this, watch the movie, and then return. Just a thought. Yes. And especially uh, as we start to talk about some of these movies, I think one of the critical elements becomes talking about either the ending or how it's oh, set yeah. up to uh-huh. end. or And so, you know, we'd be a little hamstrung if we couldn't actually spoil it. So. <sighs> yes. It, this would be... I was going to say a crap show, but I'm sure the people that would argue, <laughs> yeah, like the spoiling helps, <laughs> D-bag. It already is. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, J-Dog, on that note, would you like to, you know, throw a little uh, brief synopsis knowledge at the folks? Sure. This one's actually, uh, the setup of it's not too complicated. This is the story of Caleb, um, who is played by Adrian Pazdar, who you may recognize as Nathan Petrelli. From the best uh, TV show ever, Heroes. <laughs> oh, that movie, that show is awesome. Well, season one was. Yeah, actually. season one was, and then it yeah. kept going. It kind of mm-hmm. lost its way a little bit. But he he's a good actor in it. He played, um, like I said, Nathan Petrelli. He was the older brother of the main character, Peter Petrelli. Um, in this, he plays Caleb, who is a young Texan um, kind of living in this Dust Bowl town. And he bumps into May, and she is this cute blonde girl in tight jeans, and she kind of um, uses her feminine wows to lure him in to her little family. And her family consists of Jesse, who is the old codger played by Lance Hendrickson. He's kind of the the, uh, patriarch of the family. Severin, who's played by Bill Paxton. Um, He's kind of the wild dog Diamondback, who is uh, played by Jeanette Goldstein. Again, another one from Aliens. Yep. Um, and Homer, the little kid who's really, well, they're all vampires is yes. pretty much the, the gist of the story, um, including May. So May and her little family are these vampires that travel around at night and then hold up somewhere in the daytime when the sun's out. Uh, she lures Caleb to kind of become one of them. She bites him on the neck. And the rest of the movie is really spent his struggle on whether or not to kill, whether or not to become a permanent vampire, and you know, so on and so forth. And it's also May trying to struggle with, between her family and um, – which isn't really her family family. It's her vampire family, but not necessarily her 
like relatives family yeah and um uh her love for caleb so it's her battle between those and you know it's trying to bring it to a resolution and in between they go on murderous killing sprees oh you know you got you do what you gotta do you gotta find uh you know fun somewhere and um if it's a you know bloodletting i say so be it yeah so and and a little wait one little one little quick thing the the side story is um caleb has a dad and a, a baby sister um who go looking for him because when May kind of picks him up and they take him on their road trip with the vampires, he's gone missing. So his dad, played by the Tim always, Thomerson. The always awesome Tim Thomerson, yes. <laughs> who is uh, the mascot of our show. Um, he is the dad who is kind of out searching to find his son uh, along with his, his uh, young daughter. So they're, they're kind of – that's kind of the side story sort of. There's really a lot of layers to this other than the main story, but – um, Tim Thomerson's character as the dad is is kind of the only other parallel that goes through. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, Did I miss and, anything? And, and, no, no. It. And I will say that if you know you're going to get pulled into a vampire family cult, whatever you want to call call it, with some really awesome <laughs> badass scary dude, you know, leading it like Jesse, uh, played by Lance Henriksen, I would want to have Tim Thomerson as my dad because he too has got this <laughs> scary, rough vibe to him. Because um, I don't think there's a whole lot of people that go toe-to-toe with Mr. Hendrickson, especially in this role, because he's a scary-ass mofo. I would, <laughs> he's a, He ain't playing. Uh, Severin yeah. is over-the-top, crazy man, you know. Although, And I wanted to add, throw this out there. Is it me? There was one moment, I think it was when Bill Paxson's character, Severin, when they do the whole, and we'll go into this in a little more detail, but they kind of show each of them going to make a potential kill, you know, to feed when May is trying to talk. Um to uh, Caleb, Caleb, played by Adrian Pazdar, yeah. uh, in, into why he needs to make his kill. And they kind of show each of the, the other vampires doing their thing. When he meets up with those two girls, I think is when I, I noticed. No, you know what it was? It was when he stole the, right before they burned the Winnebago down. There was this moment, and all I could think of was, why does he remind me of a young Dan Aykroyd? Really? I, there was something about, I don't know if it was an expression, but like when Dan Aykroyd, yeah. if you think like Dr. Detroit, or like one of these like wacky Kind of role, you know, really wacky roles. Like, there's something about him. I don't know. It was weird. I never noticed well, that before. At the at the moment when you were uh, that you mentioned, the moment where they uh, all went out the yeah. first night, uh-huh. um, and they all went out to do their thing, and May was kind of explaining what they do, and it showed uh, young Homer pretending to have fallen off of his bike and laying there dead in the road yeah. just so someone would come up to check him out, and he killed him. That's when um, Bill Paxton character he got all gussied up in in cowboy garb oh yeah even had a, a even had a, a a holster and a six shooter on his side and these and he's on this completely dark unlit texas road yeah with one light he's standing under it all gussied up and these two young girls i'd say 19 maybe pull up in a pickup truck and he he's and like he's how just, about i yeah like, how about i buy you hey, a drink yeah and they like get in and he had the hair slicked back he reminded me at that point of um, Dan Aykroyd's character in The Great Outdoors when he played Jack. Yeah, yeah, maybe had, that's like, what I was thinking. Yeah, and kind of, yeah. you know, so sort of like that was the only yeah. thing I could think of. But yeah, yeah, because yeah. you pick up guys with six shooters out in the middle of dark roads and, and their and their and their hair, uh, you know, greased back like a pompadour. Yeah, <laughs> that's always a good. Now, I was there's no say, red flags there. And none. this is, and this is definitely not this is definitely not a uh, a calling you out moment at all because I thought this too, but you said that. He's he's from Texas. I is he from Texas or is he from Oklahoma? And the reason why I say this, I always thought 
it was Texas as well. But now May is from Texas because she makes a comment. He said, oh, she said, he said, asked her, is, uh, you know, what town you're from? She tells him, I don't remember what it was. Oh, and, yeah. And he says, oh, that's south of, and she goes, something about Texas. And he kind of cocks his hat. So you'd get that impression. But when he calls home, he calls home to Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Which, yeah. And let, there's several points, but they go back and forth because yeah. at one point, the sheriff calls um, his dad yeah. to say they found a burnout Winnebago or something else. Oh, no. That's when they saw him at the bus station. Yes. And he calls his uh, – the sheriff calls his dad or his dad calls the sheriff or whatever, and they're talking to him. And he says to his dad, where are you? And he says, oh, I'm in, I'm in a town called Waco. Waco, yeah. So he, he was in – he was in Texas. Yeah, the so, majority of the movie yeah. takes place, but I always thought that he – like I thought it never – Yeah, good let, point. I, 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 I don't know why. I, I always thought for some reason the whole movie did. Um, and also especially because yeah, like that – No offense. No offense to any Texans, I swear. <laughs> oh, well, that doesn't really fit with what I was going to say because I was going to say Oklahoma, Texas. I mean, you know, it's like saying which trailer park are you in? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. And quite honestly, this is coming from a guy living in central Florida. So take it for what it's worth. Um <laughs> Who, never been to Texas, I who graduated from a high school in Polk County, <laughs> which is pretty much like Texas, um, except with more rain. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it Polk High where Al Bundy went? Now, I didn't go to Polk High, <laughs> but that should help put it all into perspective. Al Bundy yes, or Al, Ted Bundy? Well, you know, six of one. <laughs> so, yes. So near dark. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of serial killers. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. So. Honestly, I'm just going to get this out of the way right up on the front end. As one who grew up as a diehard, you know, horror movie fan, um, and I, I, I'm, I sort of, it's sort of like how I like my rock and roll. I actually wanted to have a story. I don't want to just be, you know, torture for torture's sake or bloodletting for bloody sake. But near dark, my opinion, totally my opinion, which is what all this is, and at the end of the day, it's all opinion. But <laughs> if not the best, top three best vampire movies ever made. Hands down. Really? Hands down. Wow. Really? Oh, mainly because it's it's it isn't that the vampire element is so just part of the it's not like overdone. I, I love the fact first off, I didn't realize I don't know if you read through the trivia, but again, IMDB Take it with a grain of salt. But supposedly, the uh, Catherine Bigelow and Eric Red originally wanted to make a Western, like a dark kind of gritty, I guess, modern Western. And at mm -hmm. the time, because Westerns weren't making any money, they decided to cross genres and mix it. And you could definitely, this has a Western vibe, big time. Um, but Oh, yeah. And I, that's what I love about it. They never say the word vampire. You never get into all the, you know, superstitious mumbo jumbo about vampires. The religious element is never really even brought up. I mean, it's... So unique yeah. that way, like name any other real movies in that, you know, I think there was one called Nadja that came out oh, in the early 90s. And it, I think, kind of went along that line. But that in that movie, uh, vampirism was meant to be more of a metaphor for like drug addiction. And, and, you know, I think there was an AIDS kind of undercurrent to it. So, you know, that's a little different. But with this movie, I just love that it just is. Yeah, You know, the fact that the dad, when he realizes what his son must be, there's never this, oh, you know, El Diablo. You know, there's not, you know, just, he, he just, he's like, okay, you know, let, let's just deal with it. And I'm not saying the movie's perfect. It's got flaws. It was a very low budget kind of movie. But for its attention to just detail and characters and just the acting across the board, I think is really good. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what your feeling was since, you know, to be fair, you had never seen it before, but I missed, uh, so I'm going to go on a limb here. Uh -huh. I'm going to go on a limb. You sort of liked it. 
Actually, no, I hated it. That's that was my next point. I'm just kidding. Yes. Well, and it's it's a movie that you know I've I saw a long time ago, you know, high school, and then I subsequently saw it again, like a few years after that, and then the most recent I saw it was around three or four years ago, and I remember liking it again, but like this time it's kind of like the RoboCop thing, like. Maybe either my tastes have changed a bit or they've, you know, I don't know if they've gotten refined, (laughs) but (laughs) I I definitely, I definitely could appreciate it. And it was little nuanced things too. It's funny. We, we made the comment completely, you know, uh, offline uh, from the podcast, but when we were mutually talking about after talking with Lance and getting the whole, like how he goes into a character and like, this kind of made me want to focus more on little choices he and the other actors made. So I noticed little things like when he first introduces himself to Caleb, did you notice how he goes, Jesse, click, click, hook. Like he cocks the gun. It's just yeah. a little, it's a little thing, but it's just that little danger thing. Like, yeah, I'm going to kill you. Like there's, you know, there's just, it's just the, that little touch. It's one of the things that nobody would probably really pay attention to. And then of course, interesting point, he cocks his gun. And then Homer, when he introduces himself subsequently, you know, uh, grabs Caleb's car. <laughs> grabs Caleb in the crock yeah. and says, if you mispronounce it or say anything Yeah, you mispronounce else. Homer. Which, how do you mispronounce Homer? I guess you, what do you think he was going to call him? Like Homo or something? I don't know. I didn't get that. If so, a uh, bad way to combat that is to grab somebody else's junk. Oh, right? well, you know, so. it's, it's like a, it's a handshake. You know? Yes. <laughs> So yes, I, I yes I love it. Um, I I I'm a huge fan of Eric Red, the writer. I mean, he's you know he's not every movie he's done has you know been great, but he has this very, um, just dark <laughs> uh, sensibility to his his writing and his movies. I mean, you go to this the the Hitcher, you know he uh, those two especially uh, really have they're really great um, suspense. I, I, I am hesitant to call the Hitcher horror. I mean, I know it is. You know, it's always put on the horror shelf. It's more of a thriller. Um, yeah. But uh, but it it's yeah, unrelenting. And of course, Rutger Hauer, another one of our favorites, is in that. So, um, but yeah, no, I love Near Near Dark. Yes. No, and and this has definitely a very similar vibe to kind of the Hitcher. I mean, um, going into this, I really didn't know what to expect. Obviously, one of my favorite movies from the eighties is uh, The Lost Boys, and we we did that in an episode. Which uh, would be interesting to hear how you think about this, because to me, this is the anti Lost Boys. <laughs> they're similar in a lot of respects, but just tonally and the way they feel, they're just to me totally different kinds of movies. Um, yes, there are definitely uh, some parallels. I mean, there are definitely some things that are in here um, that are similar, but I had no idea what this was going to be like, other than it had. Um, Jeanette Goldstein, who played Vasquez in Aliens, which I love her character in that. And then, of course, Lance um, it, and Bill Paxton, who I'm a huge fan of Bill Paxton, and I really love his acting. And then yep. um, some of the other stuff he's done, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, so going into it, I, I, there was, I didn't go into it thinking this is going to be super awesome, and I didn't go into it thinking, oh, this is like a B movie that there's a reason I hadn't seen it. Yeah. I really went into this like, feeling kind of neutral, um, but excited to see something that had some people in it I'd never seen. Um, I agree there were some flaws to it, and I don't think it was necessarily flaws in uh, the acting. I think there were some some things with the – like the whole um, blood transfusion part, which this is the spoiler of all spoilers. At the end, <laughs> his dad cures him of vampirism, of being a vampire by simply transfusing his blood into his son. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, I guess because part of it, you know, we've all been so absorbed in um, these kind of classic characters in horror. So mm-hmm. the Frankenstein, the 
Wolfman, the you know um, vampires. We kind of have rules that are set in there. But even with some of the, the vampire movies who tried to explain it more, it's like a virus or an illness or something. What would be the difference of me sucking all of your blood out or transfusing the blood? I mean, it just didn't seem like a real strong cure. It's like a bit of an... I get your point. I would have bought it. I would have bought it because his dad um, plays a veterinarian. Like a, he's a um, like a, a ranch veterinarian, it looked like. And he drove around in a vet truck and he's got all this stuff. I would have even bought it if somehow he was testing out different animal drugs and found one that helped. More so than the blood transfusion. That just seemed a little odd. And then, of course, he cures his girlfriend, May, the same way. Yeah. But he uses his blood to transfuse in her. So I didn't kind of get that. And I, don't, I didn't want them to explain it, but it just didn't feel real you know, strong. So that was, that was one piece. The only other piece really was they definitely played up the whole sunlight is their enemy type thing. Uh-huh. Um, but they tended to bend that rule at times. Because when they were covered in a blanket, they still seemed to burn somehow. Yeah. Right? Okay, and that's fine. I can get that because maybe somehow they're so sensitive. Well, and, a, and, a, blanket... and a blanket's porous. I mean, it's not Correct. like it's a, Yeah. Correct. And so at the very climax of the movie when uh, Jesse and um, Diamondback are coming for him and they're catching on fire in the car because they're driving just as the sun's rising, they actually catch on fire, burst into flames, blow up. And yet May is fine on the road there because she's covered a little bit with a blanket. <laughs> well, or more to the point, how about more? And to she's th- not even smoking. Well, and, and more to the point, she was running without a blanket and the kid was running behind her. Yes. And now and I would he... like to say, though, something about that. 1987, obviously CGI pretty much. I mean, I it existed. Bring this up. I actually thought that the fire effect, especially on him as he's running, yeah. I-, I thought it held up really freaking good. Like, I was impressed. I, I... <laughs> I agree. Now, most of it uh, was practical effects because you could see oh, yeah. at points when they switched to a guy in a fire suit and there was someone really on fire. But the scene with uh, uh, the kid, Homer, at the end and he's running, yeah. it really looked good. I thought the same thing. I'm like, God, is that CGI? And no, then, Yeah, I know. There, it looked really good. There is a moment you could tell it's kind of an overlay, but it looked great. Yeah. I mean, he really looked like he was cooking. But well, so and, that, well, an interesting parallel. Do you know who his half-brother is? Did you catch that? No, I actually didn't look him up uh, other than to kind of see if he was in other stuff. But uh-uh. Ready for this? Ready for the – cue the Twilight Zone music. <laughs> His half-brother is Jason Patrick. Really? Yep. Their father is, J- is um, who's a Jason Miller who, if I'm not mistaken, this is off the top of my head, I am pretty sure is um, Father Karras in the original Exorcist and technically Exorcist 3 because he's in that as well. Oh, that's right. Yes. Really? Yeah. Or no, Father Marin. Which one was it? Which was the uh, younger one? Is it Karis? Yeah, it had, yeah, it was Father Karis. I was right the first Karis time. Was, Marin yeah, is uh, was... Max von Sydow. Yeah. Right. Yep. So really? it's their dad. Yeah. Their wow. What a, uh, talk about a connection. There we go. Lost Boys. Yep. Um, yeah. So the, the, the whole being exposed, I understand that as part of the vampire lore, and that actually was not a bad thing for me because I like the idea of them trying to find a place to hide out uh, during the daylight, and I love the um, – the scene when they're in the motel, mm-hmm. that to me was – there was two scenes. Okay, so I'll, I'll let it out of the bag too. I actually freaking loved the movie. I thought it was great. There were, there were just fantastic elements to it. I thought there were definitely stronger parts of the movie than others. Two of the biggest scenes for me that stood out as probably the defining moments are the scene in the motel. 
So they sun is coming up. They're all driving in the van together or in the uh, – yeah, the big van, which looks like a big A-team van. Mm-hmm. Um, and they the, – Jesse goes in and says, you need a room. And the guy, you look familiar. You know, do I know you? And he says, oh, I swing by here every 50 years or so. And then goes back out to the hotel room. Yeah. Did you catch that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So then as they are all sleeping during the day, of course, the night before they had had this massacre and the police show up and there is this very perfect old West shootout. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is it, when you said that they were going to make a Western and kind of cross genres. That's what I felt like this was more of was more like a Western um, because he was just kind of the good boy farm kid mm-hmm. who the girl hitches in with their band of outlaws. It was less of a vampire movie to me yes. and more of just this wild bunch. Which is precisely why I think it was as awesome as it was. Because I think if they had focused more on the typical cliche folklore yeah. BS that we've seen a thousand times before, it wouldn't be. It, it, when I say it's one of the top vampire movies, I mean like it as a movie, it is sure. superior. And then you add the element, it is a vampire movie. They are vampires. So by that definition... I would argue it is in the top. For me personally, it's probably my favorite. But it's in the top two or three. It's got to be, you know, in most people's estimation. Because, you know, I love love me some Bela Lugosi, okay? I'm not going (laughs) to knock. But... I dig on Nosferatu. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, the original Nosferatu is still a creepy ass movie. <laughs> that's a creepy movie. I mean, silent doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. It's a, that is a creepy movie, and that's a vampire. I mean, it looks like a giant rat. But yeah. <laughs> but as far as you know, vampire movies. It's funny you you brought up the whole um, uh, transfusion issue, and yeah. I find it interesting that you have a bigger problem with that. That they, that was the method they used, which I granted is a bit of a stretch, but it actually, based on everything else, this movie had nothing to do with necessarily because they didn't get into it. The whole like mm-hmm. idea of it being, you know, you're you're like you're really dead and immortal. I mean, they did touch on the yeah, immortal yeah. idea, but it could be because of whatever this is in your body. So I feel like they needed a way to kind of wrap it up. But I think it's less believable that he would have been able to pull off a freaking blood, you know, full, apparently would have had to been a full body transfusion <laughs> exactly. in his barn without killing well, the, whole the kid. Thing. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's a whole thing. Of yes, that that okay. I find far less credible than that's how you would use. I mean, if you're going to buy vampirism <laughs> to begin with, then I guess you could make the leap to assume that, oh, maybe that's how you'd get rid of it. But I'm thinking you'd want to do it in a hospital. Or maybe you don't need that much. Maybe yeah. he needs just a pint. You maybe you know? yeah. didn't need a full you know, transfusion, but yeah, it, that part was weird. But, um, and I loved I, my favorite scene of this whole thing. And I wish there was more, uh, I wish there were more scenes like this one. Cause I felt like there were points where it did kind of drag a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the scenes I felt not, were not necessarily throwaway, but I didn't feel like they added a lot to the, to the story or to the tension. Um, but the scene in the bar, Oh, that was by far my favorite. Yes. So that was an incredible the, scene. The, the quote you played right after you introduced the show when he says, you know, how long are you all planning oh, you mean, on staying? You, you, mean, said, you mean this one? What you people want? Just a couple more minutes of your time about the same duration as the rest of your life. That is just awesome. <laughs> and that yeah, scar so on his face, all... that scar on his face, like just the whole. Oh. Oh. And, the, and, and I, I do want to touch on the cinematography of this movie, too. And, and then, yes, that's on my notes. Oh, my God. I thought it looked great. I, I just like that opening shot. Worked off. I love that the very first thing you see. I you know, shut up, Joel. I'll finish your bar thing and then I'll get into that. <laughs> Let me finish my thought. Hold on. I'm having a um, geek gasm so, over yeah. cinematography, and you're talking about something totally different. <laughs> I am going to get into. I do have cinematography in my notes, believe it or not. Um, but uh, when they go into this this bar, it's kind of this complete dive little bar. There's only a handful of people in it, and in come. 
these kind of they they kind of come across as these biker city slicker type people these wild hair because because uh diamondback you know Jeanette goldstein's character's got kind of this dark roots and wild white blonde hair coming out and uh, and of course um bill paxton's character is just this crazy leather clad guy and it's all these kind of quiet texas cowboys playing pool drinking beer and whiskey kind of thing and they come in and just rabble rouse the place and at one point the guy he starts a fight bill paxton does with the guy at the bar they end up killing the guy and that's when the guy behind the bar is like what do you all want and that's you know um Lance Henderson walks over to the door. He closes it and locks it as he says that. Mm-hmm. You know, just a moment of your time, about exactly as as long as the Wh- rest of your life. Which reminds me of, remember a couple episodes back when I brought up a Bronx Tale and the bar scene in that? Yes. With the mafiosos where the bikers come in. It's very reminiscent of that, that idea of, like, you know, now you just can yeah. never leave. Yeah. And it was great because just that whole scene of Bill Paxton's character was crazy great i mean it was not just i mean he was crazy like he pulls that type of character off very well mm-hmm. and it, his it was awesome but even um when lance hendrickson and diamondback are in uh janet goldstein are at that table and that, that waitress comes over and they grab her and he kind of is talking to her and she just pulls her head back and you know guts her mm. that whole scene was just played out so so perfectly mm-hmm. and it wasn't a very gory movie like i expected this i think lost boys was much much gorier yeah i think other than that scene and the fact that they could that do was, catch yeah. well and, and the part where severin gets hit by the truck i mean he's looking pretty but messed even, up yeah, but it's well, not it's not, not so... gory in the sense of like it's like just wall to wall and a lot of it's off camera I mean, a lot of it, like even yeah, that waitress. I mean. Yeah, it was uh, just like, like even the killing. Yeah, a lot of the killing and stuff like there were the one scene where where um, Lance and, and Jeanette are driving in their truck and they kind of get carjacked. <laughs> and these two carjack, you know, very classic. Hey, you guys ran into the wrong people. And of course, that look on on Lance Henderson's face just when he turns oh. and just smiles. I mean, it was just that was perfect. But that whole scene when they basically he reaches down. Turned, Lance turns up the stereo real loud, and the inference is they just killed these people. Mm-hmm. But they don't actually show it. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of the killing is like that. And I thought that was played very well. So um, I didn't feel like I needed to see more you know, gore and everything. I think it was just enough in the killing piece. But Well, because I think like, like anything else, it would have drawn away from what the movie was really about. I think if they had overdone yeah. that, it, you know, it's that fine line, and I think it takes you know, a true artist to get – because like going back to the Hitcher, since it was written by the same guy, and mm-hmm. okay, pretty major spoiler alert for the Hitcher. I'm not going to say the name of who the character is or anything, but <laughs> if you haven't seen it in about fast forward for about another thirty to forty five seconds, starting now, in the Hitcher, there's a character that's tied up between two uh, the semi truck cab and a trailer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep. You remember that? And the, oh, yes. And, and the main character, C. Thomas Howells, in the cab of the truck with Rutger Hauer, the Hitcher. And the Hitcher has got his foot on the gas, and he's rev- but on the brake, too, and he's revving it, and he's going to basically rip this character in half. They never show it. They, they they never show what the end result of that whole scene is, and it is so tense. It's so, and, and I haven't seen the remake, but I've heard in the remake they do show it. To me, okay, yeah, I get it. Either CGI or... You know, practical effects, you see someone's arms getting ripped out of their, you know, off their body. Whoopee freaking do. I mean, that's, that just pulls me out of the movie, go, movie going, ah, oh, you know. And I understand, don't get me wrong, you're a gore hound, that's what you like. Good, goody bully for you. I love The Walking Dead, that's a gory ass show, but it needs to be, okay? It needs yeah. to be. 
that moment in the Hitcher didn't. It was more powerful for me to imagine. I have a feeling, I haven't seen the remake, and I eventually will, because I'm a friggin' masochist, and it, it seems to me that my imagination, after the fact, I build things up so much that after the fact, when I finally do see like what would be the end result, like in this case, uh, with the Hitcher remake, it, it, it doesn't feel... Um, it just feels jolting and it pulls me out of the movie. It pulls me out of the story. I'm either thinking, well, gosh, I wonder how they did that. Or I'm thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I didn't really need to see. Or, you know, I'm thinking something other than while I'm in the story. Oh, my God, what's a character going to do next? You know what I mean? Well, and it, it's even, it even kind of goes to the whole idea. I mean, it's the same kind of effect when you talk about a horror movie where you don't see so much of the killer or the, the creature or whatever it is when mm-hmm. it's more just in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those those movies to me tend to be even more intense because it's your imagination wondering what's there and you're filling in the blanks and that can be even worse. If you see it, you know, painted out, then it's a little bit more. Eh, yeah, I get it. And in this one, it wasn't like they held back everything. You know, oh, no, the, no, it's a bloody movie. There's, there's definitely yeah, there's definitely blood and guts, but that wasn't what the the main the main story of the movie was. So while the the. Uh, what do they call the special effects? Like when they do your face up and um, like the makeup effects. Oh, the prosthetics? On, yes. Like the prosthetics and stuff they do on Bill Paxton especially. Oh, is, yeah. is going they're gr- definitely, you know, gross and gory. Oh, and then top several notch, of the scenes when the people burn. Yes. They look burnt and, you know, they kind of Freddy Krueger-ish almost. And just um, so we're clear here, if you're new to the show and you're a big horror fan, you're like, oh, these guys you hate on um, – I grew up watching shit like I Spit on Your Grave, Last House on the Left, Bad Taste, Dead Alive, also known as Brain Dead. I mean, I grew up on some, you know, raunchy, nasty stuff back in the day. Uh, pieces, freaking sleepaway camp. I mean, some raunchy, <laughs> nasty crap, okay? Um, hello, and we both loved Night of the Creeps, so. <laughs> yeah, Night of the Creeps one of my favorite. And I, I don't mind gore, okay? It's, no. The issue becomes the tone. The moment, I mean, a movie like uh, Dead Alive, let's say, it's for, you know, humor, it's like Evil Dead 2. I love Evil Dead 2, and it's, which I don't know if anybody knew that, by the way, that I love Evil <laughs> you, should, you should really tell We should talk about sometime. Evil Dead movies sometime. We've never really brought those up before. So and we can talk about Bruce Campbell sometime. I, we really, about who? <laughs> oh, yeah, so, <laughs> but where it's, it, it's done, it's, there's a tone, there's a, and yeah. it's hard to pull off, it really is. I mean, you know, Jason and I have talked about this ad nauseum that, you know, movies are kind of like little miracles that they get made at all, that they even get completed, let alone that they even turn out <laughs> with some yeah. sense of like what the filmmakers and everybody involved intended. So definitely this is not a, you know, we're a bunch of prudes that don't like our, you know, gory horror. No, That's no, not no, the no. issue. It's, it's, a, it's the way you do it. And it's when you do it. It's knowing and it's hard. It's hard to know where is that line and, and have you but crossed it's gotta it. Fit- it's got to fit perfectly into the story yeah. and into uh, the kind of the weave of what you're trying to do with the, the feel of the movie, the yep. tone, the color. the And so if it's just the primary piece and it just seems to be offsetting to what your storyline is, and in this one I think it would have. Now, one thing I will say is I felt like this definitely had similar – I'm not comparing the movies to be the same, but it had similar tones to kind of that natural born killers uh, with Woody Harrelson yeah. where – Yeah, there's a vibe, kind of, yeah. Yeah, where you kind of fell into – like when they were in that whole bar scene and they were killing people or when they were killing the uh, the sheriffs and everything. And none of this movie did they really put you in the same seat as the innocents. And by the mm. innocents, I mean the people who are obviously the non-vampires and stuff. The only characters that really they, they allowed you to sympathize with as innocents were 
Tim Thomerson's character is a dad and um, the little girl, and of course Caleb, and I would say May even. I mean, I know yeah, she's but a Caleb and May, yeah, but they're they're the they're more they're the ones that are kind of going between the two sides. I didn't see them as purely innocent. They were both kind of this. Mm-hmm. They were this whether or not they would go one way or the other. But like when they were in the bar. It was kind of a – I'm not rooting for people to be killed, but you definitely felt more in uh, – like you were being part of the family with them. You, yeah, you, got caught, like, you got caught up in the madness. Yes, and that's, the, that's how I compare this similarly to that, the, the Natural Born Killers is you kind of get caught up in that as well. You kind of start to sympathize with the characters a little bit. So well, um, definitely not like Lost Boys. Oh, no. Um, not like Lost Boys, but I put it up on, on a similar level. I actually like Lost Boys a little bit better. I think part of that could be the music and – Maybe it was well, the which gets me to the next one. <laughs> and I rest my case. And and I will say though, if you want to bring it up, the music, I actually say that's another reason why this movie would be superior to the Lost Boys, uh, because the Tangerine Dream score, which I've determined, I just yeah. want them to score everything. <laughs> I want them to go back to all '80s movies, especially ones that take place with a lot of night stuff, because their stuff yeah. just screams like night music like it's you know in risky business uh, yeah. in this three o'clock high i mean it's always got this great i don't know that, that just that, that dreamlike synth kind of score that they create it's just i don't know i love their stuff and, and i think it really helped with this movie as well yeah no it was definitely great and i'm i don't mean to say it was not as good i meant by no we know what you meant like, <laughs> the soundtrack to Lost Boys was one I grew up with and was really what I didn't grow up with because I guess it was oh yeah <laughs> but yes of course obviously pop music this, this is good hold on for a second right there reminds me a little bit of like Airwolf or <laughs> <laughs> God, Miami Vice yeah that little bit but better. Set a playoff, folks. Just at least give me another 15 seconds. Ride it out. Ride the wave. You just picture it, can't you? You picture him like lining up at the windows, getting ready for the shootout. I'm badass right now. Yeah, pick up the high here today for this line. Just so I think that's the best thing for when they would have to roll. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. See, this I, would I just, be one of I those soundtracks. Pooped, I just I would pooped love in my own. pants a little bit <laughs> out of excitement. I, I sharted. I sharted just a little bit. Don't wipe yourself. Yeah, I would own this. This uh, this definitely has sort of a carpenter like feel, you know, for a little bit. Yeah. His music, but I love it. Yeah, it was really, really good. I think it, it played well. So, but before we get you know, too late. I do want to touch on, and I want to let you touch on cinematography real quick. So, yes, absolutely. The cinematographer was Adam Greenberg, who mm-hmm. did early. Actually, he did. He's done a crap ton of movies. He's like seventy-seven movies as a DP. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, eh, but <laughs> but those are later ones. We won't go into those. Sure. And he honestly could have done spent the rest of his career doing like straight-to-video Twilight knockoffs for all I care because the man also was a DP on uh, movies like <laughs> The Big Red One, uh, Last American Virgin, which uh, um, actually recently discussed with our buddy Peter. Um, you know, he did, obviously, Terminator, Terminator mm-hmm. 2, a uh, couple other favorites, which people can knock if they want, but Once Bitten, totally yep, not Jim like Carrey. this movie, yes, um, but it is a vampire movie. <laughs> That's and, your number two best vampire movie of all time, right? Of course. And um, <laughs> Iron Eagle. Iron Eagle he did. Uh, uh, yeah, Louis Gossett Jr. Yes, of course. And one of your favorites, Ghost. 
And he did do one of my other favorites. What's that? Rush Hour. Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker. I rush my case, people. Dude, that movie is hilarious. I, lo- I love it. Touch Black Man's Radio. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> Good night, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> This last episode we thought would have been the last. This, in fact, was the last. Good night. Yes. um, He actually did La Bamba, which I don't know if you ever saw La Bamba about Richie Valens. I actually always liked that. I always thought it was a good biopic. Um, That was Lou Diamond Phillips, right? Yep. Yeah, I love that movie. No, that was great. That's a good movie. Um, And, of course, Three Men and a Baby, another one of your favorites. Uh, (laughs) Spooky uh, ghost scene in it. (laughs) Yeah, that was a cardboard cutout. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Oops, sorry, spoiler alert. That isn't really a spoiler alert. And I uh, did another one of my faves, uh, starring uh, another one of my fave actors, James Caan. He did Alien Nation. So, I mean, this guy oh, yeah. has done a crap ton of movies. And what I loved about the the work in this was that, like, that opening scene. First of all, I love that the very first shot. The very, you, you see Black and you hear that buzzing, and it's a mosquito. So it's a blood-sucking insect, right? And you get that <laughs> tight shot of, an, of his arm. And he slaps it and says, dumb suck. And it's like, I know that just sets it's like, and that's what I love about this movie is those little, the, the economy of storytelling. They didn't have any money to speak of and it's all on screen and just the little things and the way that there's these callbacks, like, uh, you know, even in the, the, there's like little homages. Like I, even though it isn't a Texas movie, this isn't specific. I mean, let me phrase this. It is because it does take place a lot in Texas, but the main character isn't at the beginning. He is in that truck with his feet propped up. And that kind of reminded me of, I believe it's giant with um, um, uh, James Dean and that, that image of him with the the hat cocked down and the, the boots uh, up. It's that, and, but that was a Texas kind of movie. And I'm really, I'm, I really suck at my like pre 1980, well, really, I guess early seventies kind of movie. So <laughs> if I'm wrong on that, Dave Becker DVD infatuation, I'm sure will be happy to correct me. Um, <laughs> so uh, but that kind of imagery, and then of course, little things like when they're approaching the bar, and you see that them come over that hill, and that just that backlit fog, and their oh, silhouettes—it's just badass. And then when they're driving at the end, and Henriksen and uh, uh, Jeanette uh, Goldstein are are sitting there, and they're on fire, and just the the look in their eyes, and this the the smile, like every, their eyes and their teeth are so white, and and you know what I'm talking about? There's the it's just everything about oh, yeah. it. And when he's standing in the bar, when Hendrix is standing in the bar, after he says that line, he steps up. And I believe it's right around the time that Paxton <laughs> grabs the one guy and goes, I hate it when they ain't shaved. <laughs> no. I'm thinking, you know what's funny? As soon as he said that, I'm thinking, oh, God, that would be bad, wouldn't it? <laughs> I would hate that. I don't want to neck with some, like, you know, 10 o'clock shadow on a, Ugh. And then he drops and says, he smelled like a dead polecat. <laughs> cat. <laughs> so, but when Hendrix is standing there and that fan is going... And that yes. shadow across his face, like it, oh, yeah. those little things, man. It just it makes a difference, and I, 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 the whole movie's like that. And um, and I just well, love- even at the end of that scene, they've got the the fan, like the light coming through the fan, and you see it on the floor because they show the shot like almost up from the rafters. Yeah, looking down and up, you just kind of see that fan just slowly move, almost so slow it's not really creating any breeze yeah but it's the light it's that's the only thing moving in the room is kind of that little flicker of light so yeah yeah that was a good one yeah and 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 of course this is now now that we've you know you know geekgasmed all over the uh the, the cinematography back to the script <laughs> just real quick in that concept of of tight storytelling like every scene in this movie matters and every scene in this movie adheres to the get in early 
I'm sorry, get in late, come out early. So not, there's none of this, you know, building up to something. You're like, okay, you know, it, it's like, I forgot like how quickly Caleb's thrown into it. Like I, I, when he's, when he's stumbling back to his house, I'm like, God, is this already when he gets, it's like what, 10, yeah. 15 minutes, maybe into the movie. I mean, it felt really quick. I mean, maybe it was a little further out, but it, it just, every scene is either you know contributing to the characters and that's getting to understand something about them better. It's contributing to the, mm-hmm. the setting and, and the and the tone of the movie, or it's contributing to the plot. And it's like it really ties in really nicely all those different elements. And it's sort of like they they knew they didn't have a big budget, so what did they do? They really put together the tightest, strongest script that they possibly could. Even a little callbacks, like early on when Caleb says to May, um, you know, uh, you know, May, I'm scared. She, and she says, it's just the night. At the very end of the movie, Caleb says, she, you know, after she gets transfused, you know, one of your favorite um, conceits of the movie. Uh, <laughs> when, when she gets fixed. When she gets fixed like a, like a pole cat. Um, <laughs> she sits up and she says, Caleb, I'm scared. And he said, and does he say, it's just the sunlight? It's or just it's the sun, or it's just the sun, or it's just yeah. the day, or, or it's something that effect. Right. But it's that it's an awesome callback to that earlier yeah. moment, and there's stuff like that throughout the whole movie if you pay attention to it. And I just love yeah. that. I love that. And I will say one last thing: Caleb's first kill, really a dirty, stinky truck driver. Really, I mean, he seemed like a nice guy at all, and real funny, and ha ha ha. But that's who you want his first real kill to be. Was that the guy at the side of the road when he was throwing up and stuff? Yes, the guy who. Yeah, that guy. Like, he didn't kill him. No. But that's who they wanted him. Like, May was oh, yeah. pushing him yeah. to kill that guy. I think it, I, I would have thrown up, too. No offense, guy. I mean, he's like a really <laughs> cool dude. But re- so You've been driving for a couple hours. You smell. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is going to sound horribly, like, maybe misogynistic. But maybe, like, the two 19-year-olds that <laughs> or something. I mean, if you're going to have yes. the guy make his first kill. Really. Or <laughs> set him up. Well, I did kind of like how at one point when they, when they were in the bar, May was setting him up to be kind of jealous of that other cowboy. Do you remember that part? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, she she kind of starts dancing with him, and he comes over, and she's trying to play I would, them. I wouldn't have wanted that to be my first kill either. I would have let him go as well. Yeah, I probably would have went for the waitress. I was gonna say waitress. Now, okay, I, I would have I would have wanted to just kick my own ass if I had forgotten to say this. T two connection. Besides the fact that Jim Cameron and like all of his stock players pretty much run this movie. Although Michael <laughs> Ben, apparent uh, Michael Ben. Why am I saying his name wrong? Michael Bean. Is it Bean or Ben? Bien? Bun? Who are you talking about? Boone. I'm talking about Boone? Kyle Reese from Terminator. Michael Bean. Michael Bean. There it is. Michael Bean. Ah. For some reason, I couldn't say it right. Michael Bean was originally tapped to play, I guess, the Jesse Hooker character and decided he, really? did, yeah, he wasn't crazy about the script or something at the huh. time. And they, uh, I guess that was what, again, IMDb, take it with a grain of salt. I need to find <laughs> another reference. Uh I've just, I have noticed several things I'll read on there and go, I don't think that's right. And then you go somewhere else, you're like, yeah, I didn't think that was right. <laughs> um, but in the bar, there is a guy, uh, the um, guy with the beard that's sitting at the bar that Severin comes up and starts giving a load of crap to, right? You, right, you remember right. what I'm talking about? Did you yep. recognize him? He looked familiar, but I couldn't place it and I didn't look it up. Yeah. I'm guessing, um, and honestly, I, I, I feel bad about this and I'm kind of cheating right now to look it up. <sighs> I don't see it at the top of uh cajun truck driver no that would be the guy that i said that was in the headband actually the cajun truck driver i thought he was he because they showed him in the dark i thought he was going to be the guy from alien the first one i'm like they're just going to throw everybody oh yeah fat Cotto. no (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i'm like oh and where is uh where's ripley they got (laughs) to 
<laughs> no, <laughs> but but the guy in the bar who I for some reason I'm not seeing at all on IMDb. Thanks, IMDb. Um, he Robert Winley maybe uh, was he in T two? T two. Okay, he was in T two. He at the very beginning when and this is why I said it totally had echoes to T two when uh, Schwarzenegger goes into the bar at the beginning butt naked and grabs the biker and tells him he wants his his clothes in his motorcycle. And he, yeah. and he chucks him under the oven. That's that, or the stove. That's that guy. It's the same guy. Same exact guy. So he gets his ass chucked onto a <laughs> stove in D two, and he gets knocked back by Nathan Petrelli <laughs> in this one. Like we just want you to play guys at the bar who get killed. My guess is he's got to be like if you look through his credits, I'm guessing he's a stunt man. Like he's got one of the stunt man who took uh, it to a level where he's also getting to act and you know actually have speaking parts. I'm guessing because he seems to uh, do. Yeah, it. not so much. No. No. Nah. What was his name? No. Uh, his name was Robert Winley. He was he wasn't okay. Pale Rider, which we still need to do, I think, because it was a it was a good western. But it's eighty five was his first credit. But then after that, he did some TV series. Oh, he was in Joyride. Uh, That's a good movie. Yep. Um, he was in uh, Death Warrant. <laughs> Pinocchio's Stone Revenge. Cold. Pinocchio's Revenge. <laughs> and he played a biker. <laughs> yes. He's going to be our Buck Flowers for this episode. He is. <laughs> He's in everything. He was in Adventures of Briscoe County. With that guy uh, you mentioned earlier, what was his name? I don't know. It was Bob Bob Campbell. Bryce Campbell. Uh, yeah, uh, Bruce Campbell, yeah. Bruce, yeah, that's it. Yeah, BS. Um, I love Bruce. <laughs> and he played Snake Skinner. <laughs> yeah. The oh, he Bruce was in an episode so, yeah. of Tales from the Crypt. God, I love Tales. I miss Tales from the Crypt so much. Yeah, I do, Jeff. Anyway, um, so yeah, he that was <laughs> that's he was actually a very funny scene when Severin went crazy on him and said I'll buy him a drink. Yes. Now pay for it. <laughs> if that character was sort of a combination of Chet, because he even did the <laughs> kind of laugh, and he was a combination of Chet from Weird Science mixed with Hicks from Aliens. Yeah. Like he was like yeah. this combo of those two guys amped yeah. up. He had my favorite, well, aside from the, the line that Lance delivered when he locked the door, but he had my um, favorite quote. Uh, of the entire movie, do you guess what? Oh, I could totally guess what it is. I, I was going to put it in here. I just didn't have time. Finger looking <laughs> good. Right? <laughs> That's what he says when the guy drops to the floor at the jukebox after he says, I hate it when they ain't shaved. Yeah. <laughs> Finger <laughs> he drops the floor. looking good. good. I mean, he, no. he was all, he wasn't, that wasn't your favorite line? No. Oh. <laughs> it's when they first grab Caleb and throw him in the truck and he's waking up. Uh-huh. And Severin's standing over him and he says, Howdy, I'm going to separate your head from your shoulders. Hope you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Can you imagine waking up to that? I mean, can you imagine, like, that's uh, awesome. Oh, and and they were wh- going to kill him until May says, No, he's one of us. I turned him. And, and- I guess there must be something within. It's interesting because I love they never explain it or go into it too much, but there's obviously some reason that they can't just kill him then, right? That they have yeah, to give I him like a chance. They don't explain it. That's so yeah, cool. I love that. It. I see. I, yeah. I'm one of those people that the less you explain, the better. I, I want to be a little in the dark on the things so I can fill in the blanks. I know some people hate that crap. Well, you know what? Then we don't like the same movies. <laughs> one last thing on the on the on the cinematography, and then I will stop uh, geek jizzing <laughs> all over it. Please. Uh, <laughs> uh, the scene when they're in the motel, and all yes. of the bullets are ripping through, and you know, the sunlight is coming through all these yes. holes. Totally. And I'm going to give. Bigelow, the credit to assume this was meant to be an homage to the very first Coen Brothers movie, Blood Simple. 
they are the ones that first created that shot. There is a scene in that movie. I'm not going to give anything major away about what's happening or anything, but there's a scene. It's I think even the trailer where a char- one character shooting at another who's hiding in a dark room and these beams of light are shooting through. Now, I would argue she homaged it, but then up the ante just a smidge because each of those rays of light subsequently becomes a weapon after the bullet has traveled into the room. Right, so, because then you've got added element of sunlight. Yes, you know, and we actually care about them. these characters enough. And I think that's the other brilliance of not over, like overdoing the focusing on them killing and just getting... And I think that's where a guy like a Rob Zombie doesn't quite get it. When you, when you want your audience to sympathize on some level with your characters, even if they're really horrible, like awful, and these weren't human beings, but you know what I mean. Yeah, if yeah. we're going to have to like wallow in their depravity and just be... You know, unfortunately, if you see too much of it, then you are going to take on the role of the victim, in a sense. And I think right. that then we have a detachment. We cannot sympathize when they're then in a moment like that. But in mm-hmm. this movie, you can. Because truly, you really don't see a whole lot of you know the kills. And the ones you do are pretty mild. You know, So I, I think that's another case in, in point with this. Although I'm sure this movie also was edited down quite a bit. Because there seemed like a couple moments where they were going to show something. And it cut away. And it seemed jarring. And it yeah. felt like it wasn't intentionally like that. Where there was more of a MPAA step that said, oh, you're showing too much. And so they did that. Mm. Yeah. And there was, I mean, I think this wrote a very perfect line between telling too much of their backstory and telling just. Are you there? Like, is, they, oh, you, you, you broke up. Skype, Skype pooped on us for like one second. Yeah, too much of their backstory. <laughs> he said too much of their backstory. And just yeah, uh, and then you it, went. Uh, 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 no, I actually did that in real life. Uh, okay. No. <laughs> No, it was it, – it wrote a good line because it didn't – the only backstory it went into really was they talked about Lance Hendrickson being from the Civil War. Yeah. Oh, and, and only, I, oh, and you catch the thing about when they're burning down the Winnebago and Severin says to him, remember that fire we started yes. in Chicago? That was exactly. awesome. But they don't ever go into it. He doesn't even respond no, and, to him. And even when Homer says – you know, talks about being older, you know, you uh-huh. don't know what it's like to be this old trapped in a kid's body, that kind of thing. Yeah. But they never go deep into – their whole backstory is like you have to have sympathy for these people. Look at what they've gone through. Look what they – you know, they didn't go into that. So none of that kind of weepy interview yeah. with the vampire kind of feel to it. It was really just about you started to connect with them just like Caleb did because this is all you really knew of, oh, um, yeah. was what you were getting right at that moment. And um, that, that whole you're trying to root for them to escape out of the hotel when it's being shot up, you, you really are, you know, and – they're not good people, but the way the story yeah. was told, they hooked you into it really well. Yeah. So. And, 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 uh, and another quick side note, Joshua Miller, who played Homer, was in a movie the year – was it 86? I think it was 86, River's Edge, with uh, Chris Glover and Keanu Reeves. Um, uh, and, um, oh, I don't think I've ever seen Daniel, that uh, Daniel Roebuck, who was, in, uh, who was on Lost, um, who I like a lot. And it, it's, a, it's a really – Dennis Hopper. Uh, it's a disturbing ass movie. <laughs> hey, just look up the trailer. It's a great movie, but it's it's in a, in a way to, in a it has a tone similar to this. And there's one thing about Joshua Miller is for because he's only like what thirteen. I think he's like I mean because he was because he yeah in in real life at the time he was making that movie because he was like born in seventy four, so he would only what, been like you mean when he made River's Edge or when well he made... when he made River's Edge he would have been even younger like twelve, and he was only thirteen when he made that or around there when he was in this. Yeah. He's not like just a guy who looks young and is older. So they, you know, but yeah, I th- he, he really had, was that young. But I think what it is, he conveys an intelligence and uh, 
there's like that whole idea of like he's oh he's an old soul. There's something there that ha- he seems more mature, I think, than he was. That's, I mean, I don't not that saying that he was immature at the time, but you know what I mean. No, but he didn't but seem for like a thirteen year old. Yes. No, he he. The whole point yeah. was he was supposed to be an old person. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was an old person um, that was in a kid's body, and he pulled it off very well in, in that movie. I mean, he the whole scene with him with that revolver and that gun, oh, and yeah. even the points where they had him smoking. I kind of well, I still kind of cringe a little, thinking, "Oh God, they actually had a real kid really I smoking." I heard, that. I thought I heard an interview with Lance and uh, Tim Thomerson, and I think Jenna Goldstein was on the panel, and they were talking about that. And Lance said he was like the, I think his exact words were something like, "He was the worst fucking smoker I'd ever seen." <laughs> like, yeah, because he was like, he would like take a little puff. Yeah, because I don't think he was. Really, he was like, <laughs> actually trying to just blow it like out, like he wasn't really trying to to inhale. Yeah. But the fact that they, but the way he carried himself with the like the handcuffs on his belt and his little revolver, oh, and yeah. he he pulled it off for that age i think he did a great yeah, job did great. acting that character yep. so yeah and last james cameron tie and then we'll go to our movie picks the end of that movie or towards the climax with severin and caleb and caleb's driving this big rig and there's severin <laughs> on the hood ripping it it was that not totally a callback to terminator like that whole scene <laughs> felt like the end of terminator to me yes like, and he's he's literally punching into the engine and, and ripping it out yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's on the front of it. Yeah, it really just looked like it was the scene right out of right yep. out of Terminator. Yeah. Yes, it did. Definitely. So, J Dog, would you? Um, I don't know. Be uh, maybe interested in talking some movie picks action? Oh, if I have to. Ouch. Okay, we're going to do this one quick tonight. Real quick. <laughs> yes. Um, mine actually I'm not is going to be quick easily because this is one of those movies. That I don't have I a movie. Because give... <laughs> I just picked it just now. No, I can't give much about this movie away because this is one of those movies, sort of like Sixth Sense. If you've never seen it, never heard of it, you can't really talk much about it because it gives away a lot to it. But my pick is tie-in with Bill Paxton. Uh, a movie he directed, 2001, Uh-oh. called Frailty. You do know we picked that one before, right? No, I have we. Yeah, yeah, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I'm picking it again because I freaking love this movie. Okay, you know what? Um, I love it so much too. I'm actually glad you picked it again. Yes, because he's in it double. He uh, he's the director of it, but it also stars him and Matthew McConaughey and Powers Booth, and um, it it is this really awesome movie about this guy who basically is talking to the FBI about the fact that he has had this messed up kind of childhood about these things that have happened to him and his brother and that his dad thought he was this avenging angel trying to kill quote-unquote demons and it is just a fantastically paced movie the the shots are really really powerful the story is amazing and has just some incredible twists to it so um i can't give a lot away other than bill paxton is brilliant both behind and in front of the camera in this one and um, this is one of one of my favorites over over the last uh, uh, decade plus. So this is a, a cool, cool movie. Yes, indeed. It is one of my favorites as well. Uh, my choice is actually from 1991. It is tied in to Eric Red, the writer of Near Dark and The Hitcher. I was going to pick hmm? uh, uh, Hitcher as well, um, except Jason pointed out I've picked it <laughs> maybe possibly twice. So... <laughs> It's a good movie. Don't judge me. So, yes, I picked Body. It's been a while, to be fair. Yes, I I picked. Yes, true. It's been like it's been like a whole twelve episodes. Body Parts from nineteen (laughs) ninety one. 
starring Frank Lapidus. I'm sorry, I meant Jeff Fahey. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is about a man who loses his arm in an auto accident, has a new arm attached as part of this experimental surgery. <laughs> oh, except it turns out it's the arm of like a serial killer type. And wouldn't you know it, said arm has a mind of its own, which is <laughs> really awkward when it's favoring his <laughs> other hand while jerking off. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's. I actually just watched the trailer. I saw this movie when it came out. I remember very clearly going to see it. But it's strange. I can very specifically remember going to see it. I had the Fangoria with it on the cover. I was all excited about it. And I seem to have this sense memory of liking it. But watching the trailer, I swear to God, I remember none of it. Like, I'm watching the trailer going, I know I've seen this movie. I remember specifically going to see this movie. Why do I have... So this is... I'm going to have to watch this. I don't know if it's going to be a pick of ours at some point to, to watch it, but I have to rewatch it because it was very surreal. Like, I know the movie. I knew what it was about. I mean, I know I've seen it. But I honestly... Like, normally you watch a trailer, at least something, like Jars. I was yeah. watching going, I don't remember <laughs> any of this. I, I have the same kind of... I have the same kind of recollection. I, I remember seeing it. I... Knew the storyline. I kind of remember having watched it, and I, I love Jeff Fahey. And I remember like one of the first scenes that he wakes up next to his wife, who is played by Kim Delaney. Um, and he wakes up next to his wife, and like the arm does something that you know he's not controlling, or and I. But I don't remember much else about it. So this might actually be good to revisit. So. Yeah, and Brad Dorif is in it as well, who of course played Chucky in Child's Play. Well, mostly the voice of. Uh- <laughs> Really? <laughs> oh, and, oh, wait, ready for this connection? How's this for a connection? Ready? Brad Dorff was in Body Parts, written and directed by Eric Red. Eric Red wrote Near Dark, which also starred Joshua Miller. Joshua Miller's father was Jason Miller. Both Jason Miller and Brad Dorff were in Exorcist 3. Booyah! Just pulled that out of my ass. How's that? <laughs> Bitches! <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, and I didn't take my medication today. So, <laughs> I have a superpower. Uh, yeah, so anyway. <laughs> body so, parts. Body parts, 1981. <laughs> yes, check it out one time, won't you? So, Jay, would you like to, uh-huh. um, I don't know, wrap it up with anything profound? <laughs> yeah, next time you pick up a stray blonde at the gas and sip who's out uh, licking her cone, uh, you, you might want to make sure you know where her family is. Make lives. sure you're carrying cash. And if that doesn't work... <laughs> Uh, Make sure you have your rosary beads and crucifix in your pocket. Which as, but as this movie showed, would that have mattered? I doubt yeah, it. It probably wouldn't have mattered. So, so yes, uh, um, of course, you can uh, – I was actually referring to contact information, but that's fine if you wanted to go down that road. Um, uh, of course, I'm trying to come up with lessons learned from uh, what's the les- picking we up do a that. vampire. We should end every episode with, what was the lesson learned? <laughs> Don't have learned a vampire today? lick your cone. I learned you should go to ForgottenFlicks.com because not only do we have the podcast there, but you can check out retro movie reviews uh, and a lot of other articles and such, including uh, joining our new email list. And yep. you can get updates and cool freebies and information um, about the show and the site. Um, you can also find us on Facebook. Yes. We have a group page so you can um, comment and chat along with other fans and us about what's coming up and uh, kind of the inner workings of the show. Yep. Or – you can go directly to the podcast page and see um, show art and our episodes, and you never have to leave Facebook. Oh, yeah! Literally, just live there. That's their and goal. Listen to this. So assimilate. <laughs> as our what buddy, Ga- as our buddy Gail recently 
pointed out to me, resistance is futile. It is. Mm -hmm. So Twitter, of course, we are on Twitter. You didn't mention that, did you? I was only half listening. No, I didn't. No. I am <laughs> I am Forgotten Flicks. Jason is Flick Sidekick. Hi! And uh, we did you mention the iTunes page? I know you mentioned Facebook. Uh, I didn't. No, okay. Mm -hmm. We got to okay. go to iTunes. Okay. And uh, we, of course, iTunes. Be, uh, please just go there. Uh, if you don't really feel like you know typing up the fancy words and whatnot uh, for a review, just click on the stars, preferably all five. Actually, if you love the show, you hit all five. And it turns out if you hate the show, you hit all five. Really, it's the same thing. It really does. It, it, it really intuitively does. knows, and it'll offset. Mm -hmm. Just just put five. Yep. <laughs> so if you get a chance, go do that. And uh, any uh, final words? Any final? Oh, uh, yep. Thanks to JV, because I played one of your old spoilers, pal. Where are you? I miss you. I'm cold <laughs> at night. And our buddy, of course, Kevin Spencer, who, unfortunately, I feel like a, an empty void because there's nothing of his to pimp this week. Um, oh wait, he was—he's not a Monster Mania. That's done. He will be at the quarter corner of Crenshaw and Ninth, giving out um, free hand jobs with his demon possessed arm. Or <laughs> you could go see him, or you could, or you could go check out his amazing artwork. <laughs> Why won't he return my emails uh, uh, at inkspatters.com? Because his art is freaking amazing, and he probably will choke me. With that with demon his arm. Demon possessed arm. And then his own chicken. <laughs> <laughs> with that demon possessed arm. So, Jay, on that note, would you like to uh, really wrap it up? <laughs> oh, you are such a dumb suck. <laughs>